Um, I want to um, use as the main text for this sermon, Matthew chapter 1, the first three verses. Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 1, it says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron and Hezron the father of Ram. Uh, from this text, I want to preach to you on the title, A Deeper Passion for Jesus. A Deeper Passion for Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, I just pray that this would be your message and not mine, that you would preach, that you would speak, that your will would come forth, and I would merely be the vessel, the vehicle that you are choosing right now to say what you want to say. God, your will be done. For you truly know what needs to be said to these, your children, my sisters and brothers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A deeper passion for Jesus. Now, I need to tell you right off the bat that usually when I'm studying the Bible, I skip over texts like this. You know, those, those parts of the Bible where so-and-so begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, was born to the Hittite, was born to the Israelite, was born to the Afroite. I mean, usually, <laughs> I, I stay away from Scripture. Cause I, I, you know, I want the real drama. You know, I want the war scenes, and I want the transformation scenes where they take over the land, and they prosper, and they're blessed, and they grow. And, and you know, you know and, and usually these texts, I mean, you can't even pronounce half the names of the people. Trying to figure out what the significance of so-and-so begat so-and-so. But I've learned there's something powerful about a family tree. There's something powerful about knowing where you came from. There's an African word called Sankofa. The word uh, is based on the symbol of a bird that's head is pointing backwards. And, and it symbolizes that in order to move forward, you have to know where you've been. I sense that Woodland Hills Church is at a time in its life where it's trying to press forward. It's trying to move forward and figure out what is the next season of this church. Where are we supposed to go now? What now? We've come through some sermons and we've, we've, we've come through, through high schools and we've come through different places and now we're here and we're going to the next phase of the building which could represent the next phase of life. Where do we go? Maybe... You, without even thinking about the church as a whole, you're at a place where you're going, what is the next season of my life? What is the next season of my marriage look like? What's the next season of raising kids look like? What's the next season of being single look like? What's the next season of living life after my husband or my wife passed away? What does the next season look like when my children leave for college and now we're empty nesters, as they call it? What does the next season have for me? Uh, sometimes in the midst of life, it's hard to look forward. 
Well, maybe to look forward, you need to look back. That's what a family tree does. It reminds you where you came from. There are many points in the Bible where we get a chance to look at the heritage of a people, a history of a nation. And sometimes in order to move forward, you have to deal with history. You have to look back. You have to know where you've been so you can move forward. I went to a family reunion a few years back, and I have a cousin who's a genealogist. And she does what we see here in Matthew chapter 1. She traces the family tree, the history of a people. And that particular year, she did a whole study, which became a little book for all of our family members on our history. And I found out that particular family reunion that my great-great-grandfather was full-blooded Irish. I was surprised. (laughs) I also found out that you can trace back my African-American history to a slave girl named Esther. So even though she was a slave, she had the name of a woman who was a queen in the Bible. And so this great-grandfather, who was full-blooded Irish, married a descendant of Esther who by then was half African-American, half Cherokee Indian. And I left that family reunion, and I realized that I was more than I thought I was. I thought I was just a black guy from Minneapolis. But I'm Irish. (laughs) I'm Irish. Oh, man, I get into it now. Man, I drink green Kool-Aid on St. Patrick's Day. I mean, I'm Irish. I mean, top of the morning to you, my brother. I'm Irish. But I'm not just Irish. I'm Native American. See, if you take time, if you would take a deeper look at where you come from, you might find out that you are more than you thought you were. Well, what if we do that with Jesus? If we took a deeper look at the history, the heritage of Jesus, maybe we would find out that as a Christian, we are more than we thought we were, and by knowing that, we can move forward into our future. You know, Matthew chapter 1 gives an earthly genealogy of Jesus, so that we would know that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of man. John chapter 1 gives us a heavenly genealogy of Jesus, I like to call it. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. John chapter 1 lets us know that ultimately the history of Jesus is in heaven. It was in the beginning, before even the creation of humankind, Jesus with the Father. The Father and the Son are one. John chapter 1 says, if you are a Christian, basically, you have to trace your history to the heavenly realms. 
If you really want to know who you are as a Christian and you really want to move forward, if you really want to know what it means to be a godly person, you need to look back and know that you have a heavenly history. You have a throne room testimony. Your past is bigger than the earth. It's bigger than the natural realm. Your very identity and essence is tied into your history, which is tied into heaven. It's where you've been and it's where you're going. Now, there's something about this earthly history, though, in Matthew that is helpful for knowing who we are, where we come from, and where we're going. If you're a Christian, you are tied into the blood of Jesus. You're tied into the blood that hit the foot of the cross. You're tied into the bloodline of Jesus. You are one with the history, the heritage of Jesus. So it's important to know something about why this genealogy is here. Well, it starts with Abraham in verse 1 and 2. We know Abraham is one who we would say is the patriarch, the father of the nation of Israel. But there's also something else you should know about Abraham that puts new light maybe on the genealogy of Jesus. That is that according to Genesis 11, verse 31, Abraham, whose name at the time was Abram, was born in a place called Ur. You are. If you would look at a biblical map of Ur and compare that to a modern day map today, you would find that where Abram, who became Abraham, was born born is in what we would call today Iraq. Wow. That puts a different spin on it. That the same place where we've had conflict, the same place where we've been at war, the same place where we're either looking for weapons of mass destruction or trying to start a democracy or trying to liberate or trying to figure something out that's going on, trying to fight terror, whatever the issue may be politically, sociology, so, sociologically, uh, there is something theological, something biblical that you ought to know about that place. It was where Abraham was born. Um, that's, that's where our enemies are. It's war going on in the place where Abraham was born. Now, I know maybe when you thought of Abraham, you thought of Jews, and, and you had a picture in your mind of what Jews look like and where they come from. But no, if you study it biblically, the, the place where the genealogy of Jesus begins is a place where we now have global conflict. That should say something to you biblically. Before you make a political decision, before you make a social decision, you need to have a theological position on the place Abraham was born who is in the lineage of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This tells us two things. One is, the family of Jesus is a little bit bigger than we probably give credit. It's easy to make the family of Jesus look like us. It's easy to Americanize and Westernize the family of Jesus, but you need to know when you're thinking about where you're going that the family of Jesus is bigger than you think. It even includes your enemies. Jesus' bloodline is so powerful, it can take enemies and make them brother and sister. The bloodline of Jesus is transforming. It's powerful. There is something about the spiritual DNA of Jesus 
that can take enemies and make them friends. It's why the Bible talks about the lamb and the lion lying together in peace. But there's more here to the genealogy of Jesus besides Abraham. And I could go on for a while, but for time, I just want to really deal with one more character. In verse 3, a woman's name is brought up by the name of Tamar. There's a few things that will shed light on a deeper understanding, a deeper passion for Jesus by looking at the fact that by verse 3, Tamar shows up. One is that Tamar is a woman. Now, you might not think that's a big deal, but there's something about the fact that when you read the heritage of Jesus, it doesn't take long for a woman to show up. Sometimes in the church, when we think of people at the forefront, people leading, people uh, uh, taking a place to the next level, sometimes it takes us a while to get to a woman, like the presidency of the United States. I don't know how long it's going to take for us to see our first woman president, but it, it didn't show up in the first three verses. I don't know how long it will take for the governor of the state of Minnesota to be a woman. But it didn't happen in the first three verses. I don't know how long it would take for a woman to be a senior pastor of one of the largest churches in the Twin Cities. But it, but it, it, it took a lot longer than three verses. When it comes to women at the forefront of the heritage and history of Jesus, it don't take too long. I figure this. If a woman can birth Jesus, if a woman can prepare Jesus for burial, if a woman can be the first at the grave site to say that the brother has risen, then surely a woman can lead and direct and produce and pray and prophesy and, and, and move us forward Oh, that's enough about that. Okay. Usually, brothers, the sisters like that part of the sermon. Usually, brothers, when I preach that part of the sermon, the women are like, Woo! 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 He can preach! Woo! He can preach! Woo! Woo! They, they, they like, brother, they like that part. <laughs> After I preached that sermon, my wife said, You know, on second thought, I think you can preach. Um, There's something else you need to know about Tamar besides her gender. Tamar was a Canaanite woman. To be a Canaanite woman would mean that you were a descendant of cursed people. Noah had sons. One of his sons was Ham. If you read in the book of Genesis, you will read that Ham looked upon his father's drunkenness and nakedness. The other sons of Noah tried to cover up the drunken and naked state of their father, but Ham did not, and for that his son Canaan was cursed. Noah cursed his own grandson. So Tamar would have been known as a descendant of cursed people. Ah, sisters and brothers, even cursed people show up in the story of Jesus. Outcast people, second-class people, 
neglected people, oppressed people, people that have been given up on by the rest of society still show up in the story of Jesus. It's never too late to show up in the story of Jesus. It's never too late to find yourself in the bloodline of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua, the Savior. It is never too late. Maybe your mama gave up on you, but not Jesus. Maybe your daddy said you'd never amount to nothing, but that's not the words of Jesus. Maybe you're an outcast. Maybe you're on the fringe. Maybe you're neglected. Maybe you feel like you don't fit in anyplace else, but there's still room for the neglected, for the cursed. Jesus. The blood of Jesus can lift a curse off your back. Generational curses can be broken through the bloodline of Jesus. I don't care if your life has been hell and high water. Once you get in the blood of Jesus, you can swim. There's something about the blood of Jesus. I better stop there because I'll get so excited that I won't finish what else I have to say. There's something else you need to know about Tamar, besides the fact that she's a woman and that she is a descendant of cursed people. Tamar is a scandalous story. There's a guy named Judah in Genesis chapter 38. Judah was looking for a wife. And even though Canaan was known as the descendant of cursed people, the women must have looked pretty good because he went there to look for a wife. He went there, found him a wife, and he had some sons. And I, and I guess he was so pleased with his wife and, and, and where, where they met that he decided he'd go back to the same place, Canaan, and find a wife for his oldest son. And that's where he found Tamar. So Tamar married the oldest son of Judah. But before they could have children, the oldest son died. And, you know, it was very important at the time for, for Judah, uh, for, for men to have sons that then would have grandsons. And there was something about having an oldest son and the oldest son having a son because that was how the blessings were passed down at the time. So Judah had a dilemma because his oldest son had died. So he thought he, he, he thought he could come up with a new idea. He would, he would give Tamar to another son. And that son could have the son. But that son, well, let me put it this way. He wanted to uh, get with Tamar, but he didn't want to be her husband. He, uh, he, he didn't want no long-term commitment. He was just like, look, can't we just go to the club and go back and watch a movie and pop some Jiffy Pop popcorn and to see what happens? I mean, I know you good church folks don't know what I'm talking about, but been saved all your life. You don't know what it's like to, you know, if loving you is wrong, I won't be right. I mean, you don't. So it didn't work out between the second son and Tamar. So then Tamar came up with an idea on her own. She disguised herself as a prostitute, slept with Judah, and that's how these two other children were born. These grandchildren, Perez and Hezron. That is a scandalous story. 
For all of you that wanted the Bible to be a Walt Disney rated G feature, I'm sorry. There's scandal in the Bible. There is a lot of messiness in the Bible. There is drama. There is beyond young and the restless as the world turns mess in the Bible. If they did a movie really depicting all the stories of the Bible, I don't think they could rate it G. But even the scandals of life don't separate us from Jesus. So even though Tamar at the time wasn't the right gender, was a descendant of the cursed people, and had a very scandalous reputation, she still ends up in the bloodline of Jesus. She still finds herself in the heritage of Jesus. Oh, there's one more thing i got to tell you about Tamar. It gets deeper. The fact that she's a descendant of Canaan makes her a descendant of Ham. Ham had four sons, Canaan, Cush, Mizram, and Put. Between the four sons, they are the original inhabitants of Palestine, Israel, Ethiopia, the Sudan, Egypt, and Libya. That means that uh, Libyans and Egyptians and Sudanese and Ethiopians and Israelites and Palestinians are in the bloodline of Jesus. Right now, there was great divide and war between Palestinians and Israel, but even in the midst of that, both of these people groups are in the bloodline and the storyline of Jesus. Could you imagine what peace could come to Israel if Palestinians and Israelites would realize that in their history they can both trace their history back to the bloodline of Jesus? Do you know that if Jesus was front and center of Israel, the kind of peace and transformation that could come to Israel? Well, why pick on Israel? We can look at the United States of America. Can you imagine what would happen in the United States of America if Hispanics and African Americans and European Americans and urbanites and and suburbanites, and men, and women, and rich, and poor, all trace their history back through the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine what would happen in the Twin Cities if I could look at my sister and say, we come from the same bloodline, sister. Brother, we come from the same blood. We don't talk the same. We don't dress the same. But the blood is the same. Yeah, we could hook up around the blood. If we could just center and focus on the blood of Jesus, we could get together like we've never gotten together. There's something about the blood of Jesus. I wish I could get you to feel what I'm feeling on the inside of me right now. There's something about the blood of Jesus. You needed to cover your marriage. You needed to cover your children. In the Old Testament, the reason why the death angel couldn't harm the Israelites is because the blood was on the doorpost. Have you ever let the blood wash over you? Have you ever been touched by the blood? Have you ever been impacted by the blood? Oh, the blood of Jesus. There's something. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, He died upon the cross, and I know it was the blood. Is there anybody here willing to shout and say, I know it was the blood for me. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I know it's the blood. It's the blood. It's the blood. It's the blood. I should be dead right now, but it's the blood. I should be divorced right now, but it's the blood. My kids ran away, but the blood. 
Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know the power of the blood of Jesus? Could you imagine if it's true that in the bloodline of Jesus, just by reading Matthew chapter 1, we could come to the conclusion that when Jesus walked the earth, there was African blood pumping in his veins, Asian blood pumping in his veins. Roman blood pumping in his veins. Samaritan blood pumping in his veins. There were rich people and poor people, but their blood was pumping through the veins of Jesus. Could you imagine that when Jesus was on the cross dying, that that was multi-ethnic blood being pumped through his veins. And so when the blood fell from his head and his hands and hit the foot of the cross, that was the blood of all of humanity as we knew it at the time. So he we can really say that Jesus died for all of our sins because all of us, past, present, and future, was pumping through the veins of Jesus. He died for you that day. He shed blood for you that day. No matter if you're Irish or German or Italian or Zulu or Hmong or, or Puerto Rican, whatever, He died for you that day because all of who we are as humanity was pumping through the veins of Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, because all of you is in the love of Jesus, the blood that he shed on that cross. You need a deeper passion for Jesus. I don't know if we truly realize as Christians how deep the blood of Jesus is. If we knew how deep it was, we'd put it on the doorpost of every church in town. Maybe instead of covering the church with a new theology, we just need to cover the church with the blood. Maybe instead of trying to come up with a new doctrine, we just need to cover the church with the blood. What would it look like symbolically if Woodland Hills decided to cover every ministry with the blood? You know what? While Greg Boyd is gone, can I just be real? While that man is gone trying to figure out the next stage of his life, you better cover him with the blood. You are obligated as a church to cover your pastor with the blood. Cover him with the blood. When he comes back, you want him to be covered. You don't want him to come back until he's covered. I love the man, and I'm telling you, you pray that when he comes back, he's covered with the blood of Jesus. He'll preach like he's never preached before when he comes back. He'll do things he ain't never done before, which is scary to say about Greg, because I don't know how else, I don't know what else he can do. But he will do more if he's covered in the blood, which means you need to get seat belts on those seats before he comes back. You need to cover the, ooh, you need to take your children and cover them in the blood. I want to close by reading John 15 to you. John 15, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. I love this line right here. You are already clean. That's the blood, (laughs) y'all. Because of the word which I have spoken to you, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. In the Old Testament, the blood was about covering. That's what it was about. It still means that in part today. In the Old Testament, the power of the blood was a covering. But the shed blood of Jesus represents an entering in. Oh, sisters and brothers, hear me. Jesus not only wants to cover you with the blood, he wants to use the blood to enter into your life. He doesn't want to just be your covering, which is powerful in itself, but he wants to enter into the deepest place of your life. The blood is your covering, But the blood is Jesus abiding in you as you abide in him. You have been cleansed by the blood. Your identity is in the blood. Your calling is in the blood. Your revelation is in the blood. The blood is God's way of entering in. It's it's God's way of bringing new life. Oh, let me say this because I know I'm out of of time here. So let me say this quickly. You you can keep playing though, brother. It's sounding good. When my youngest daughter, Maria, was born, oh, I'm feeling something just getting ready to tell you this. <laughs> when my youngest daughter, Maria, was born, my wife decided she wanted to have a different birth experience than with our oldest daughter, Jada, who she used a lot of drugs for her, illegal drugs. <laughs> and um, she decided she didn't want to use any drugs when she had Maria. So... We, we got a midwife, and she decided she wanted to have a water birth. I'll never forget that night, 1.30 in the morning. Denisha got into the water, and I got in the water with her. And she began to push. And I looked at the water, and I saw drops of blood come to the surface of the water. And when I saw the blood, at first I was scared. Because I didn't know what that meant. I was a rookie water birther. (laughs) But I saw blood in the water, and I looked at the midwife, and she said, that's the way it's supposed to happen. And after the blood, I saw Maria swimming in the water. Oh, I want you to hear this, sisters and brothers. In order for you to enter into the new life God has for you, in order for you to swim and, and breathe again, you need the blood. The blood has to come first. When the blood comes, new life comes. If you got the blood, you can have a new marriage. If you got the blood, you can have a new, new outlook on life. You can have a new church. And I ain't talking about no building. I'm talking about Woodland Hills. If you're covered in the blood, you can have a new church. All things can be new. Nothing will be passed away. Nothing will die. What the locust stole, you'll get back if you let the blood come first. If you put the blood of Jesus, you might want to take those crosses and put some blood on it. And then that will remind you that the blood is first. 
Ah, y'all, Jesus. As we close this service today, maybe you want to go over to this table and there's some free resources over there for you that will assist you in living life in the bloodline of Jesus. Maybe today is your day to give your life to Christ. That's true. When I close this service, I want you to use this altar. I want you to go to that table. Don't leave here without somebody praying over you so that you're covered. God loves you so much. I pray that you would have a deeper understanding of Jesus. And it would bring you new life. It would launch you into a new season of ministry. Let me pray for you. Father God, I lift up this church, the individuals, the families, the ministries. I lift up Dr. Greg Boyd, the pastor. Cover him. Cover this church. Cover the families. I pray that this church would be a remnant in the Twin Cities. I pray a royal priesthood, a holy nation that has come out of the darkness and is living in the wonderful light of your resurrecting power because it is covered in the blood and has entered into the bloodline of the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus the Christ. I pray every family covered. We break curses in the name of Jesus. We pray healing in the name of Jesus. We pray release from bondage in the name of Jesus. We pray for wholeness in the name of Jesus. We pray for health in the name of Jesus. We pray for new life in the name of Jesus because the blood has opened the door. Satan, you are a liar. You have no power over this ministry. You might as well head on out because it's too late for you. The blood has already been poured upon this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are covered by the blood. Enter in. God bless you.